0: Y'all is good. Amen. Y'all, y'all going to be a fun crowd to preach to. <laughs> oh, man. I, I'm so pumped. I, I've been been sick the past couple of days. And I was like, man, what a morning for me to have to sing that song because my have been struggling with my voice. I'm like, man. And then pray, worship. You know, like, Kelly, save it. Save, save your voice. You got to see. And I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, man. I can't save it when I know who we're talking about. Yes. I cannot not sing. I mean, exo- so I, I'm glad. Listen, how many were here for week one of Resolution Road? Anybody? What, what do we learn? You want, here's the, if you want true life-changing transformation, if you want a life of purpose, if you want to live a life of meaning, it starts with what? Yes, yes saying yes. Man, thank God people are listening. Hey, I want to go ahead and say a quick hi to our Facebook audience. Uh, man, we've got people from all over the country that actually log on and, and watch us. So welcome, guys. Uh, but at the new year, people make resolutions. Why, why do they make resolutions? What? They won't change? They, here, here's why I think we make resolutions. And that, you know, because we make them, and then by January 3rd, most of them have broken theirs. Come on. But the reason we make them is because I believe inside of, there's this deep seed knowing that something needs to be different. There's this deep seed knowing that something needs to change. There's got to be something different this year than there was last year. And some of those resolutions are just personal preferences. I want to lose a few pounds. Uh, this year. It's my goal. I want to read more. I, I want to uh, I, I go on a date. Uh, some of my personal <laughs> preferences. Come on now. Try to help you all out there. But, pers- but then sometimes the resolutions of the changes we know need to, be, need to be made, they're necessities. We know that if something doesn't change, a marriage won't survive. We know that if something doesn't change, we're going to be filing bankruptcy. We know that if something doesn't change, that the doctor keeps telling me to get a grip on my diet, to get a grip on my health. And if something doesn't change, I'm going to be diabetic. I'm going to have high blood pressure. I'm going to deal with all this. There are some things that we know they are necessary. We've got to change these things, right? So we make promises. We make promises about relationships. We make promises about how we're going to spend our time, about a job. We make uh, promises about how we're going to manage our finances, how we're going to take care of our bodies. We even make promises about how we're going to renew our passion and our walk with God. And we make these promises, these resolutions. But how many know, be honest, change is not fun. It's not. Mark Twain said it best. He said this. He said, the only person that likes change is a wet baby. (laughs) That's true. Change is not fun. And so we kicked off a series of Resolution Rules. It starts with saying yes, yes. What does that mean? If If you're taking notes, and I encourage you to, here's the first. When it comes to real transformation, real transformation change starts with us surrendering our will for God's will. What we want, our desires, saying, God, because here's what we do a lot of times. We want God to conform to our desires, our will. God, get on board with me. Get on board with what I want, with what I'm doing. But we need to say, God, you know what? Not my will anymore. I want your will, whatever's going on. And so I, I love, it's about surrender. I love the way John Ortberg, a uh, great writer, defines surrender. He says this. Surrender is the glad and voluntary acknowledgement that there is a God and it is not me. We could stop right there. Because if we could get just that first part right, understanding there is a God and it ain't me. It ain't me. He, He goes on to say, he says, his purposes are often wiser and better than our desires. Jesus does not come to rearrange the outside of our life the way we want He comes to rearrange the inside of our life the way He wants. So I think the question we have to ask, have we really surrendered our life to God? A better question, have we really surrendered every aspect of our life to God? Because we're bad about surrendering parts, but then holding on to others that we're not ready to let go. Have, have, Have we surrendered relationships to God? Have we surrendered uh, our finances, our marriages, our kids, your businesses, your job, your addiction, your health? Have you surrendered those things to God? Well, PK, I did that when I became a Christian. I get that. But here's what you need to understand about surrender. Surrender is not a one and done deal. It's not something, well, I surrender, I'm done with it. Surrender is something you do every day. Surrender is something, sometimes you do it every hour, and sometimes it's every minute. Surrendering, surrendering. We keep doing it day by day, moment by moment. So when it comes to making change in this process, which is what we're talking about today, we need to understand change is a process that involves breakthroughs and setbacks. We get discouraged when we have setbacks, right? But real change is going to involve both breakthroughs, and setbacks. It, it's, a, it's a process. It's a tedious process. So Sometimes, I, come on, anybody, sometimes you feel like you take three steps forward and, and four steps backwards? It's a, it's a process of setbacks and, and, and breakthroughs. It's true. It, the process of doing these little things, it's true in almost every area of our life. Well, I'll say in every area of our life. In the business world, it's true. Uh, Several years ago, a guy named Jim Collins, he wrote a book uh, that's become the standard in the business world uh, entitled Good to Great. Uh, Collins and his team spent almost five years analyzing successful businesses and not-so-successful businesses and what separated them, what enabled the successful businesses to thrive when others weren't. One of the discoveries that Collins and his team made was that progress... Get this, it's basically the accumulation of several leadership decisions carried out over a long period of time. In other words, it's not a one-done deal. In fact, he compares it to a flywheel. He says, like, with a moment, momentum, you've got a flywheel or a Ferris wheel that's spinning on an axis. If you were to try to push that, it's going to take a lot of force to get it turning, right? But if you ever get it turning, momentum starts building. And it gets easier and easier to push. And he says that's what it is. He says it's processes. It's step by step. Collins said the same thing about business. Look what he said about the business world. He says, no matter how dramatic the end result, the good to great transformations never happen in one fell swoop. There was no single defining action, no grand program, no one one killer innovation, no solitary lucky break, no wrenching revolution. Good to great comes about by a cumulative process, step by step, action by action, decision by decision. That's not only true in the business world. It's true in relationships. One of the guys I, I have people, uh, if I'm doing premarital counseling with a couple or even marriage counseling, one of the books I'll have them read, it, it's an older book, uh, but a guy named Paul Tripp wrote a book called What Did You Expect? And it's an incredible book, but he, Paul Tripp lays this out, this concept of process. He lays it out perfectly in this book. Here's what he says. The character and quality of our life is forged in little moments. Every day we lay little bricks on the foundation of what our life will be. The bricks of words said, the bricks of actions taken, the bricks of little decisions, the bricks of little thoughts, and the bricks of small moment desires all work together to form the functional edifice that is your marriage. What's Paul Tripp talk about? The process. The process it takes to build a great relationship, the process it takes to to build a great marriage, it's not a one-and-done deal. You understand that? If you think, well, I surrendered once, that's all I need to do, it's like the guy that him and his wife have been having marriage problems, been married 20 years, and the counselor said, man, when's the last time you told your wife you love her? Do you tell her daily? He said, listen, I told her 20 years ago the day we got married, and if it ever changes, I'll let her know. That's why we treat surrender. I surrendered once, that's all I, and not understanding it is a process. It's a process. A great relationship, a great marriage doesn't happen in a single moment. It's little things. Paul, Paul Tripp also wrote this about process in one of his blogs. He says this, I love it. The reality is that few smokers actually quit because of a single moment of resolve. Few obese people have become slim and healthy because of one dramatic moment of commitment. Few people who were deeply in debt have changed their financial lifestyle because they resolved to do so. And few marriages have been changed by the means of one dramatic resolution. Is commitment essential? Of course. There is a way in which all of our lives are shaped by the commitments we make. But biblical Christianity, which has the gospel of Jesus Christ at its heart, simply doesn't rest in its in its hope in a big dramatic moment of change. The fact of the matter is that the transforming work of grace is get this, is more of a mundane process than it is a series of few dramatic events. Personal heart and life change is always a process. It's a process. Now listen, I'm, I'm from Tennessee. I love Tennessee, but even me, n- not being an Alabama fan, we've got a few Alabama fans in here. Where you at? Come on, I need to know where the sinners are. Uh. <laughs> I need. To, I need to know where to direct it. No. But even if you're not an Alabama fan, you have to respect the coaching job that Saban does. He is he is a man. You know why Tennessee people hate Saban? Because we haven't found out a way to beat him yet. And if any Tennessee fan were to tell you I would never have Saban as a coach, you're a liar. But you have to respect it. And even New York Times, Forbes magazines, they say this, the secret to Saban's success isn't about finding the latest and greatest offensive or defensive scheme. Instead, what Saban preaches day in and day out to his players and staff is the process. The process. Saban goes as far as to say this, that his focus and the focus of his team is not on the outcome. He doesn't want his team to focus on winning and losing. Saban says this, that's short-sighted. But I love what he says here. And then if you're wondering, is he ever going to read any scripture? Yes, I will. Just give me time. Saban says this, we're going to focus on the process. We're going to focus on the daily activities that lead to success. We're going to play every play we're involved in like it has a history and a life of its own. We are not going to look at the scoreboard. We're not going to look at any external factors. We're just going to focus all our concentration, effort, toughness, and discipline in executing one single play at a time. And if we can focus to do that on this play and the next play and the Next play. If we can do that for sixty minutes, I can live with the results, regardless of what they are. Uh, I don't think he felt that way after the LSU game, but that's another story. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to rub it in. That's a lie. I did. I did. I did. Um, it's a process. It's a process. If it's a process in the business world, in relationships, in the sports world. It's also a process when it comes to our spiritual growth. When it comes to growing, a guy by the name of Robert Mulholland said this in his book, Invitation to a Journey. He says, everyone is in a process of spiritual formation. Every thought we hold, every decision we make, every action we take, every emotion we allow to shape our behavior, every response we make to the world around us, every relationship we enter into, every reaction we have toward the things that surround us and impinge upon our lives, all these things little by little are shaping us into some kind of being. Get this. We are being shaped into either the wholeness of the image of Christ or a horribly destructive caricature that image and this is what really stuck out to me get this destructive not only to ourselves but also to the others for we inflict our brokenness upon them we become either agents of God's healing and liberating grace or carriers of the sickness of the world that's sobering as Christ followers followers of Jesus What we allow to come into us, the decisions we make are are forming us to either be agents of God's grace, of God's healing, or carriers of the sickness of this world. So, depending upon where you are or what what you're struggling with, I'll I'll be honest with you, talk of change, talk of transformation. Anybody ever been to a point where you say, it's impossible. I can't change this. About my life. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. Come on. A- a- ask an addict. Ask somebody who's every year they make a vow to lose that 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds. Come on. Ask the, ask the person that they keep trying to fix their marriage. It seems impossible. And it would seem that impossible if it weren't for the words of a guy named Paul. And Paul wrote some words in Philippians 1.6. But anybody know why Paul wrote these words? Because last week Ananias said yes. Said yes. And it's a scripture we know. Paul wrote this in Philippians 1.6. Be confident of this. Paul says, I'm confident of this. The NLT says, I am certain of this. The ESV says, I am sure. Paul is wanting to make the people listening know, hey, this is something I have no doubts about. I am confident of this one thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Yeah, I love the way the message paraphrases this. He says, Paul says, there has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ appears. That is good news, whether you know it yet or not. Paul says this in Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you. For it is who? Come on, it is who? It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Here's what Paul is saying there. Quit trying to do this on your own. It is God who does it. It is God. Quit trying to think you've got to do it on. It, it is God who wills. So I want to give you. I, I know there's a lot of points on, on the bullet that I am going to hit them like a man man. We're going to go quick. But I want to give you quick truths when it comes to the process. It's this, failures and setbacks do not have the last word on what God is doing in my life. Anybody (laughs) glad about that? Failures and setbacks do not have the final word. They don't. The second truth about the process, what happens in the mundane moments of life, they matter more than I can possibly imagine. Little things that you don't think matter, they matter more than you imagine. And the third, those small, seemingly insignificant decisions I make every day, they are the things that lead to steady and significant transformation. Those little changes, those little things I do every day. I want to give you, I'm going right to my next slide. I told you I'm going fast. Three things that will make a huge difference. Let me be honest. I'm not going to read these things off, and you're not going to be like, Wow. You, you have had to spend days with Jesus, and he just breathed revelation into you, PK. They're, they're going to be stuff. Yeah, I know that. But here's what happens in the process we forget. We lose sight of it. But I want to give you three, three huge things, three huge things that will make a difference. And one of them is this, daily time with God. Daily time with God. Man, we kicked off Monday, we kicked off our 21 days of prayer. We started with three days of fasting. And people that tell me they enjoyed fasting, they're doing it wrong. (laughs) You're doing it wrong. I, I just need to tell you how to do it. But. We start that off, and, and why? Because we want to hear from God. We want to spend daily time with God. We want to kick this year off making, making a, a, a little habits, for lack of a better word, of us knowing we're going to spend time with God, a little time. Uh, we, we do a devotion. We've got, we, in fact, we put it on Facebook. Casey did uh, our devotion yesterday. Uh, you can look all them up, but I encourage, and listen, I don't have a Bible. You could have used that excuse when I was growing up. Everybody but Tim Sally and Chris Lund have a smartphone. <laughs> they still have flip phones. And if you come across one, buy it. Because if there's breaks, they're looking for another one. You got, oh, you got two on hold. But you, you can download a Bible app for, and have every translation. So it, when we say it's just an excuse if we don't spend daily time with him. The second thing. I think it's a huge. I think this one's huge. Consistent worship with God's people. You know, I look forward to being in this house every Sunday and Wednesday. I do. Even if I wasn't the pastor of this place, I would come here because I love the environment. I love the atmosphere. I love. We've got a guy here. He's not this morning. Uh, not here today. Sean uh, McKinnon, man. I. He is my my wrestling buddy. And he has learned everything about worship by just being around us. And this guy will stand here. If he was here today, he'd have stood right there, walked up, wouldn't have cared about anybody, threw his hands up in the air, and sung to the top of his lungs. I looked forward. I missed him today. I look forward to seeing that. I look forward to coming in here and and hearing other people, watching other people worship because that is my family. That is my community. And I'm telling you, you miss out on opportunities to grow when you you think these don't matter. That they matter. In fact, Hebrews 10.25, look look what the writer says. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spur each other on. In other words, hey, hey, you going to be there Sunday? Well, I may be. What you mean maybe? God's going to be there. You better be there. That's my idea of spurring on. I mean, let them know. hey, I'm excited about the guy. Man, there's no telling what God's going to do. And worshiping together with God's people. The third thing, and I know this makes a huge difference. I don't talk a lot about this, and no one can accuse me of talking a lot about this because I don't. But I know it makes it, and in fact, I should talk more. But it's made a huge difference in my life, me and my wife's lives, and everything. But I know this in the process, it'll make a huge difference honoring God with his tithe and offering. Yeah. See, you hear me say, if you've been part of this church very long, you've heard me say this. When I take up offering, I, I'm not doing this because I want something from you. We do it because I want something for you. I want you to be obedient to God where God just begins to pour it out on you. In fact, let me show you why we do it. Malachi 3.10. God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do this, if you do what? Come on, if you do what? Believe it or not, that's not a bad word. Tithe is not a bad word. (laughs) If you do what? If you bring your tithe, God says, here's what I'm going to do. I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. It is the only place in the Bible where God says, test me. Test me. See if I I won't do it. See if I won't work. If you do, that's what he's going to do. So when I say I don't want something from you, I want something for you, I mean it. I want you to live in that kind of life. So let's get back to the process. Uh, the process, can we agree? Even if you know it's a process, it can get frustrating. Can we, come on, can we agree with that? It, it, can, it can get frustrating. So I don't want to just talk about the process and then send you on the way. I want to give you some hope during the process because we're all in the middle of the process. Some of us just don't realize it. Here's the first thing you need to understand about the, this is hopeful. God started a good work in you. Look at your neighbor and say, God started a good work in you. Now look at your second choice and tell them the same. You remember how he started? Philippians six. He who began a good work in you. You see, the people listening on, the people that he was writing to, the church at Philippi, they would have known what Paul was talking about exactly. Because when, when Paul, the church at Philippi, when it was planted, it was not an easy church plant. In fact, Paul, Paul when he was on his second missionary journey, he wanted to go to Asia. But here's what the Bible says in Acts 16 it said the Holy Spirit blocked Paul from going to Asia. Blocked him. And so Paul, because he was listening to God, said, okay, God, what's next? And and, and God began to deal with him. And Paul gets a vision, Acts 16, 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Or Keller, Philippi, Macedonia. Well, he ends up in Philippi, which is a part of Macedonia. And Paul ends up there, and it's a Sabbath day. Paul wants to go to church. He wants to go to synagogue. There isn't one. And here's what you understand. In order to establish a synagogue, you had to have at least 10 Jewish men that wanted to establish one. So evidently, there weren't even two Ten Jewish men that said, we want a place of worship. We want a house of God that we can go to. So Paul arrives there, and there's no place to go. So he's like, well, if I can't go to church, I'm going to go fishing. So, which is what some of y'all do, but you say, I'm not going to go to church. I'm going to go fishing. But let's go. Move on. So, uh, but he, he arrived, he's down at the riverbank. And see, God, I'm telling you, if we will listen to the whispers of God, He will have us in the places we need to be when we need to be there. And and, and so uh, he he goes down there to the riverbank. He meets a group of women, strikes up a conversation. One of these women happened to be a wealthy businesswoman named Lydia. Check this out, Acts 16, 14. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira. Here's what that means. She was Greek. She was not Jewish. She was a Gentile. So let's continue. A woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. Now, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Paul's having a conversation with this woman. It says the Lord opened up her heart. It didn't say she opened up her heart, did it? It didn't say Paul opened up her heart, right? The Bible is very intentional about letting us know the Lord, God, it was him who opened up her heart. Here's what I'm trying to get at. The same God who blocked Paul's travel plans. The same God who gave Paul a vision saying go to Macedonia. The same God that opened up the heart of a Greek woman and she responded to the message of Paul and became the first convert there. She immediately began. Followed in baptism, which if you've not been baptized, we're having it next next week. Or if you've been baptized when you were younger, but you straight, hey, get baptized. It's going to be at the eleven a.m. service. She gets baptized, and so the the Philippi. You understand this was the first place where the gospel was preached on the continent of Europe. Philippi. The name of Jesus had never been preached. The gospel had never been proclaimed in the continent of Europe. Lydia was converted. Some of her friends were converted. Paul continued to preach. A demon-possessed slave girl was set free and converted. Paul and his preaching buddy Silas, they get thrown in jail. God sends an earthquake that caused the first jailhouse rock. Come on. And the guy... Guy in charge of lockdown, he gets converted, but not just him. His entire family gets converted. I'm trying to show you the raw material that God used to birth the first church in Europe. I I mean, the raw material, think about the impact of Christianity in Europe that it's had. Uh, over two thousand years, it, it all started with a guy named Paul, a businesswoman named Lydia, a formerly demon-possessed fortune-telling slave girl, and a prison guard and his family. Here's what we need to understand: This wasn't Paul's idea. Paul's idea was go to Asia. This wasn't Lydia's idea. This wasn't the demon-possessed slave girl's idea. This wasn't the prison guard's idea. This was God's idea. It was his ideal bro. Paul says, He who began a good work. you know? Here's what I love about this. The way this Paul starts off in Philippians 1, the scripture right before we read, you know, that being confident that he has begun a good work. Here's what Paul says to them, Philippians 1, 3 through 5. I love this. Paul says, I thank God every time I remember you. Paul says, every time I think about my travels there, every time I think about when I first come there, no one knew the name of Jesus. When I first came there and I think about how you, as a demon-possessed girl, God changed your life and brought your mind back to you. When I think of you, Lydia, how God transformed your life. When I think of the prison, I thank my God of every time I think about you and how you're partnering with us. And he says, because of that, because I know where you started, I am absolutely confident of this, that he who began a good work in you is going to finish it. Why? Because you didn't come up with the idea of you. You didn't give yourselves all those gifts and talents. Come on. God designed you. You didn't convict yourself of your sin. Come on. God did did. And he who began a good work in you, God says I'll finish it. I mean that, that's amazing to me about the gospel. We didn't uh, initiate a relationship with God. He initiated it with us. He wanted the relationship. Check out Hebrews 12, 1-2. says, therefore since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this. He says all that now. Here's how we do this. By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who does what? Initiates. Initiates and perfects our faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He initiated your faith. He'll perfect your faith. How can a God make that kind of promise that he's going to finish what he started? How how does God look at a guy named Casey and say, what I started you when you were a young boy, even though you trailed off into addiction for 20 plus years, I'm going to finish what I started in you. I think if we ask that question, we don't understand how powerful our God is. I mean, he can make that kind of promise because he's that powerful. Because he's that big. How powerful? it means, God has enough power to create everything out of nothing. Are you following me? God has enough power to blast a hole in the Red Sea large enough for 3 million people to walk across on dry ground. God has enough power to to hit a rock and cause water to come out of that rock to to quench three million people's thirst. God has enough power to turn water into wine so that a newlywed couple can celebrate their wedding. That's the power I'm talking about. He has enough power to calm the wind, the waves during a raging storm. Our God has enough power to walk on the water even if it's just to give an illustration to his men. That's the kind of God we serve. Man, I... Some of y'all need to wake up. God has enough power to to harden the heart of Pharaoh, to change the mind of a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. He has enough power to heal the skin of a leper, to close the mouth of a guy named Zechariah for nine months. He has enough power to deliver Israel from Egypt, David from Goliath, Elijah from Jezebel, Esther from Haman, three men from a fiery furnace, and Daniel from a lion's den. That's the God we serve. God has enough power to love his enemies. Mm. God has enough power to be able to wrap himself in swaddling clothes and come down here as a baby and spend 33 years and endure every temptation we would ever endure and die a brutal death on the cross so that we could be free the God I'm talking about. So that's why he can make that kind of promise. Because he's our. Uh, uh, Paul begins with he who began. He who began. That brings me to the second truth. You need to understand this. God refuses to give up on you regardless of your failures, your setbacks, and your sin. Amen. Mm. Uh, I, listen, I'll, I'll soak that in myself. He refuses to give up on you. Others may have given up on you. A parent may have given up on you. A child may have given up on you. Come on. The the government may have given up on you. Our judicial system may have given up on you. A parole officer may have given up on you. A teacher may have given up on you. A spouse may have given up on you. But hear me, God never. He refuses to give up on you. He says, Paul says, being confident of this. He who began a good work in you will carry it out to com- completion. I love that Paul says, hey, I'm confident that he who finished. Is that what it says? He who began. Paul, Paul doesn't say, hey, I'm confident that he who worked really, really fast because her, he knows our ability to get really frustrated when change doesn't happen really fast. Says, I'm confident he who began it. What, what, what does that mean? It means God ain't finished with you yet. Amen. You're in the process. You're in the process. the process. Some of you are getting frustrated, but I'm here to tell, tell you, you're just in the process. Yeah. You're just in the process. You're in the waiting. Are, are you hearing me? I, I love, man, I found this quote by Ben Patterson. He said this about waiting. He said, when you're waiting Who you become while you're waiting is just as important as what you're waiting for. Mm. Who who, Who you become? Are you becoming bitter? Are you becoming angry? Or are you saying, you know what, God, I don't like this. I wish it were different, but I'm clinging to this, that he who began a good work It's going to finish it. I I can't even see the end. God, if I'm just being honest, I don't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. So I'm clinging to this. He who began a good work will finish it. Here's the truth, guys, in this life. You're going to have problems. I would love to be able to get up here and say, Hey, get saved, and you will no longer have problems. Get saved, you'll no longer want to sin. Get saved, you'll no longer want to do I would love to say that. But then I'd be lying. Come on. You're going to have problems. There are going to be times when you don't don't know the end of the story. There are going to be times when your heart will get broken. There are going to be times when your world gets shattered. There are going to be times when you get things wrong, when you blow it. There are going to be times when you calls for you to try to be patient. There are going to be times when, when whatever it is you're doing, it ends in Failure. There are going to be times when you're tempted. It means sometimes you're going to take three steps forward and take two steps backwards. That's what this life is. It means sometimes you will have to wait. But who you are becoming during the waiting, I'll say it's just as important, if not more important, than what you're waiting on. The last point of Bob or Bubba will come on up and we'll close. Hope in the process you ready I'm confident of this God will finish what he started in you God will finish what he started with you somebody say God will finish what he started with you Paul says being confident of this you began a good work in you in you will carry it out to completion Philippians 2.13, Paul says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His purpose. Anybody heard of a guy named Admiral Jim Stockdale? He was the highest-ranking U.S. military officer who became a prisoner of war in Vietnam. He was held in Hanoi, North Vietnam, For almost eight years as a prisoner of war. He was tortured over twenty times. He lived out the war without what they call any prisoners' rights, meaning he there was no set release date. In fact, he didn't even know if he was gonna survive or, or ever see his family again. He records this, that at one point he beat himself with a stool and cut himself with a razor, deliberately disfigure himself so that the Vietnamese could not put him on video and show him as a well-treated prisoner. After his release, Thutdeau became the first three-star officer in the history of the Navy to wear both aviator wings and the Congressional Medal of Honor. How did Stockdale deal with his imprisonment? How did he survive the brutality that he endured for eight years of captivity not knowing whether he would get out? Author Jim Collins in that book Good to Great interviewed Admiral Stockdale and he asked him that question how did you survive? Here's what Stockdale said I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted Not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the the defining event of my life. I've never lost faith in the end of the story. Melody, God says don't lose faith in the end of the story. I feel so compelled to let you know that don't lose faith in the end of the story. You've endured a lot for a young girl. But don't lose faith in the end of the story. God is working. God is working. When Admiral Stockdale said that, Bill Collins looked at him and said, Admiral, who didn't make it out? Stockdale said, oh, that's easy. The optimist. Which kind of confused Bill Collins, he said, he said, I don't understand. He said, you just talked about the fact that you never lost sight of the end of the story. Now you're saying that it was the optimist who didn't make it out. It sounds like you're contradicting yourself. And Stockdale clarified the optimist. Oh, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. Christmas would come and go. And they would say, we're going to be out by Easter. Easter would come and go. And they'd say, we're going to be out by Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving would come and go, and Christmas would roll back around. He said, This, those men died of a broken heart. Admiral Stockdale looked at Jim Collins and said, This. He said, You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with a discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. what he said. is, listen, I didn't deny the fact that I was a prisoner of war. I didn't get up in the morning when they asked, hey, 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 uh, Admiral, how you doing? I didn't say, oh, blessed and highly favored. Come on. He said, the brutal reality was that I was a prisoner, but I did not allow the brutal reality to detour me of the faith that I had. The brutal reality is this. Some of your marriages, if something doesn't change, will not survive 2020. That's the brutality. That's the, that's the reality of it. The reality is, is if something doesn't happen with your finances, your water's going to be turned off. You're going to file bankruptcy. That's the brutal reality. The brutal reality, if something doesn't happen in your kid's life, then they're going to wind up dead or in jail. The brutal reality, if you don't get a hold on your addiction, there is no life. That's the brutal reality. But you must never confuse faith that even though this is my brutal reality, I will prevail in the end. Why? Because I just have to believe that he who began a good work in me is not done with me. It's not going to leave me hanging. It's not going to leave me out to dry. But He's going to complete it. I have to believe that. Yeah. See, the world says, finish what you started. God says, no, let me finish what I started in you. Surrender starts with surrender. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Oh, Jesus.